Join us in this podcast as we interview Lincoln Juice, a three-time stand-up paddleboarding world champion and lifelong ocean athlete from Australia. Lincoln has also made a name for himself in surf lifesaving, surfing and sailing. He has recently turned his focus towards ultra-endurance events. We've worked with Lincoln as he took on the Yukon River Quest, a 715-kilometer race down the Yukon River in Canada, where he won the event for stand-up paddleboarding, smashing the course record in the process. We hope you find Lincoln's story as interesting as we have. Welcome everyone to Radix Nutrition's podcast with me, Mike Rudling, where we discuss all things health, performance and nutrition, from the design process behind our products to the amazing feats of the people who use them. So um, as I said, you sort of do a huge amount of sports and, and we're really interested um, to hear a bit more about those. So can you tell us a bit about uh, what you do and, and how you got into them? Yeah, it's uh, it's quite of a, I guess, a, an interesting story, right? Like I've always been, I guess, growing up as a bit of an athlete that kind of jumped between a few different sports and never really kind of settled, I guess. Um, I was pretty lucky. I was, like I guess most most kids growing up in Australia here, we did a lot of surf life saving, like the Ironman racing stuff and, and the same in New Zealand and played a bit of rugby and all sorts of, of sports and really kind of found my niche in, I guess, ocean sports. Um, in that capacity, I guess I really struggled to kind of narrow it down, whereas like I, I always wanted to, to go Ironman racing, but I still wanted to go surfing and, and sailed a lot and it, it just kind of... For me, it was lucky. I've never really needed to, to focus on one exclusively. Um, and that's for, for better or for worse, right? Like a lot of the time, like I, I kind of wish maybe I did focus on one, but um, I've been fortunate the last couple of decades to be to be able to kind of mix and match and, and compete in a few different sports and, and get different experiences out of, I guess, each each one separately. I'm I'm really curious if you have a favourite one because you you do so many and um, yeah you seem to to do quite well in, in so many as well. I'm I'm just wondering if you've got a favourite and and why. A favourite one that's that's pretty hard I guess for me. Um, I think each sport kind of I get something a different experience and get kind of something different out of it, right? So like in my teenage years I was quite focused in the the surf Ironman racing world um which is very it can be quite intense so a lot of the training for that kind of stuff is is you're doing your three sessions a day you're in the pool swimming with um up to like olympic level swimmers in the morning and then you're you're paddling a surf ski in the afternoon which is often where a lot of the like the olympic level kayak has come out of so growing up kind of doing doing that kind of ocean racing quite intense lifeguard style racing in the surf was um was was kind of my whole world up until about I was about twenty, and for me that really kind of taught me, I guess, how to how to perform and how to kind of just have that exposure and into high level sport and and how I guess the thing around really good swimmers and really good Ironman and really good kayakers, you learn how how those kind of guys and girls train hard, right, and how like people go to 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 race at high levels and. For me, I was able to kind of take that and, and that whole world into a few different sports. Like I really, uh, I also kind of grew up kind of idolizing a lot of like, even like mountain climbing and like a lot of those kind of adventure sports where it, it's a little bit more, 
not high performance, but it, it is in a different way, and it, it's in that kind of adventure and and that kind of outdoor area. And for me, like, I think the sailing and the, the these kind of longer paddle races really kind of tick that box for me, and I get excited about like challenging myself in that kind of mental capacity over multiple days and finding out, I guess, I guess what what you're capable of doing. Um, but in saying that, I do enjoy like like the kind of the high performance. I did, especially when I was a little bit younger, that high performance side of kind of waking up in the morning and going to the pool and trying to trying to improve yourself and, and shave seconds off off your time. So it, for me, it's very much about being in different worlds. And I'm lucky. Like I think it, at this at the moment, it kind of keeps me quite fresh, whereas I can kind of focus on on the paddling stuff and then kind of step away for, for six months and focus on on some sailing kind of projects and then obviously the road coming up next year I'm quite excited about um but it, it's just honestly like it's for me it's just a bit of a journey like that's it's trying to challenge myself in in areas that are, that are a little bit foreign a little bit different and and just try to learn I guess as I go and and see what kind of projects or sports or, or events I want to kind of do after it once I kind of get through these ones just a, a quick question for our listeners so in surf lifesaving what what level did you reach in competition yeah um i was i was quite competitive in kind of the the age group stuff um i was i won a few state titles and was quite close on winning a national title up until about the under 19s and the opens and for me it was a it was a bit of a journey like i always wanted to grow up to be like a Nutri-Ionite, like the professional series Ironman, and you'd idolise those guys and you'd train with those guys, and it was it was cool to kind of try and follow that path. Um, I had a bit of a, I guess, a, a fork in the road, so to speak, when I was kind of 18, 19, I didn't qualify for the series, and it was, it was this whole, like, I can keep grinding away and doing the same stuff and really trying to achieve that goal, or I could go and kind of, dabble in that kind of adventure world a little bit and for me like like idolizing other sports so much it was it was kind of too hard to turn down going and doing some of those longer paddleboard races and just kind of trying i guess sports that are similar but a little bit different is that kind of i was uh, i was thinking the same thing i mean what what drew you to these other sports because you've you've gone off into some incredible endurance sports using your background of um you know how familiar you are and your family's history at, at, in the ocean but there must have been a draw that's taken you towards these amazing endurance events yeah I think pers- I'm, I'm not actually sure why I'm so addicted to them um, but I think it, it's that personal kind of challenge right like I was I was quite fortunate about 18, 19 when I wasn't super stoked on doing the Ironman racing and just missed out I had the opportunity to, to kind of jump in the stand up paddleboarding world and like Back then, the stand-up paddleboarding was kind of this, this bit of this mosh between like a lot of good Ironman racing and a lot of good surf ski paddlers. There were some very good outrigger paddlers that had come across to the stand-up, and it was kind of this little scene where you could go and race the best outrigger paddlers in the world from Tahiti, and the best um, the ocean surf ski paddlers were also paddling the stand-up. So it was this kind of like this this scene where you were doing these these long twenty, I mean two or three hour races, and you were not just racing against the same people you'd race week in week out for a number of years you're really racing against like paddlers that were 
kind of the best net paddling craft jumping across. Um, and for me, that kind of, yeah, that kind of buzzed me up a little bit and you got to kind of dabble, I guess. It was more of a, it was more of a, an explosion for myself into the, what, what there's so many other kind of events and racing and, and sports out there. Um, and the whole adventure, the adventure kind of sport world leap following on from that is, is so big and there's so many different events that, that you learn a lot from, right? Like if you, if you kind of doing the same racing and you're kind of racing against the same guys week in, week out, it, it, you only get that kind of, you get to a point where it, it's not different anymore um, yeah. and it's not as exciting. So I kind of followed along with that and then boy sailed a little bit and then kind of got into the sailing a little bit more and it's just kind of, yeah, honestly, just jumped between the both and just trying to find events and projects that, that excite me to, to keep training and keep motivated and, and have that little bit of an edge. When you're jumping between like that, between sports, um, can you talk me through how your training actually would change it, it's quite a an interesting thing to me because obviously when you when you have high level athletes usually they've dedicated a very long period of time and they're training very specifically for one thing but you seem to jump between and, and be able to adapt and do quite well so how does your your training actually change when you when you change your focus yeah that's that's kind of a tricky one um i don't think i'm, I'm definitely not the best at, at being able to do it do it do it as well as, as a few other kind of multi-sports athletes. Um, like I said, I guess my background, my my teenage years and my early 20s were very dedicated to paddling and and it was very much like that. Like it was the sole focus, um, whether it was the Ironman racing and then the stand-up paddle and the ocean racing, it was quite focused and dedicated to those kind of sports. Um, Follow-on, I had a few years off with COVID and in and that kind of a reset and started kind of falling into more of that adventure racing stuff. And for me, I've been really fortunate. I've been able to use that paddling background quite, the paddling and endurance sport background quite well and transfer it over physically. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely a challenge, especially throwing in with a lot of the sailing projects and stuff I've been doing now where it, it demands another, a different level of set of skills and a different kind of physical physical ability to do well and even I got back on the boat yesterday after doing this this long kind of all this paddling work leading in and I really felt like my hands were a bit sore and a few little like haven't hit the gym as much as I'd like to <laughs> over the last six months and you can kind of feel it right you jump in and you go oh my god um but yeah it, it's just very much for me at the moment about trying to focus on on a certain project for, for six or eight months and and develop my body while I might be jumping between the sports um, really trying to focus on changing my body and kind of preparing for that one um, one kind of project um, the paddling yeah the paddling um, I mean I guess I'm fortunate enough that we've had so much so much leading into it it's more about now doing races like the Yukon we're focusing on more of the mental side of of the preparation when preparing to kind of go okay like I'm going to have to be out there by myself for, for days at a time. I'm not going to have a crew or a team to rely on or I can't ask somebody for advice and getting that mental side of being completely self-sustainable and then flip it back into like a like a sailing environment, maybe if you're sailing two-handed like we have been and you suddenly got somebody there in your ear 24-7 when you're racing. So it's for me, there's it a lot of different elements to that to kind of, 
can merge together. But I guess like you see so many I mean, in the snow and, and across the water sports now, there's so many great athletes that can jump from being a very competitive world to doing different side of projects and just kind of transferring those skills across. And I kind of draw a bit of inspiration from that, I guess. I got some, I'm fascinated to learn how you prepared for the Yukon project, but possibly we just introduce yeah. the project first and, and, and tell our listeners what it was about them. We can go from there. Yeah, so the Yukon the Yukon Paddle Quest is a is a uh, it's been a canoe race for about twenty twenty five years um, up in the the Yukon re- region in Canada. So it's um, if you don't know, it's super remote. Like it's pretty much like the end of the earth up there. Like it's it's almost inland from Alaska. So you get the the really kind of extreme temperatures in the winter and in the summer and you just don't get the the humidity that kind of Alaska gets with their, their kind of snowfall. So in the summer, it's quite hot up to, it was about 40 degrees some days when we were there. And um, it's, yeah, you're in the middle of nowhere and quite exposed. So it's a, as a canoe race, it's, it's kind of a bit of a cultish race. And there's a lot of, a lot of paddlers that kind of come out of the woodwork from a lot of different backgrounds, I guess, um, as well as a lot of, traditional kind of canoe paddlers from from Canada and, and places that are very, very good canoe and paddling countries. Um, for the stand-up, the stand-up's only been in the event maybe four or five years, I think, and it was quite a push to kind of get the stand-ups in, into the event. So early on, early on, it was, once we got in, it was all the guys that have, and girls that have done it the last couple of years, a big push has been on the stand-ups to kind of not embarrass ourselves and prove we can actually do the event. And, and especially the early years, they were trying to beat all the, I guess, the quicker craft across the line just to prove that, like, you were kind of deserved to be in the event and we're not going to be a liability. Um, yeah, o- yeah. On that, how does your speed compare to the other classes? It, it's, quite, it's quite interesting, actually. So the surf skis are, are quite a lot faster. Um, but the, the kind of the canoes, the traditional canoes where they have like a single sided paddle and they sit down, we're pretty similar, pretty similar in speed. And I think that's to do with they're a little bit heavier and they, they, they drag through the water a little bit more, especially when they're all loaded up with their, with their gears. So for us, it was, for me, it was quite surprising. So I think I ended up third overall in the, in the solo division, which was, mind you, we like, push pretty hard the whole way um but i guess it, it, it's not as slow as people think and i think the biggest advantage in those kind of race was that race specifically is that a lot of the races to do with navigation and to trying to find the fast water and the river so you're, you're running down down river the whole time so some side of my always one side of the river is a little bit quicker than the other and just being able to stand up and have that kind of vision on the river, we often found that we would be in the water, quicker water a lot more than some of the some of the paddlers when they were sitting down. They get tired and they can't kind of see where they are as much. And I don't know, maybe that kind of helps a little bit, especially when you're tired and you're not really it's not so much a speed race. It's just kind of a consistency thing. So, I, I guess a question for our listeners: It's a 750k paddle down the Yukon River, one of the most remote places in the world. How do you choose that event? That's a, that's a good one. and it, It's one of those ones for me. It's kind of been a bit of a, 
bit of a bucket list event. Um, I so in 2019, I won my second. I my second stand-up paddleboard world title, which is my third. So I won a prone paddleboard world title and the two on the stand-up. And I was a little bit burnt out leading into that. I really, really struggled kind of leading into the event. And so I'd won the year before, and then backing it up was was quite a challenge. Like I was, I kind of felt like I'd done everything. That for myself that I wanted to do in the sport and, and in paddling and I was kind of ready for for some other challenges um and to, it, to, to win it's 750k yeah. is that a typical uh, distance for you in your career or was that longer than you not <laughs> not yeah. at all like in all honesty like so when I won the uh, our world title it was on the short course as well so we don't race anything longer than like two hours there's a rogue, there's okay, one so. race in Hawaii that's it's about three, about four hours, but it's like, yeah, we don't race anything that's, that's longer than, everything's between half an hour to two hours at most. So to wrap my head around this, it was, it was a huge challenge and I, I was just burnt out and I was just looking for something that was, that was interesting and was different and there's a few, few of my friends or, or people I guess I knew had done this race before, one of the a guy I actually coached a little bit leading into this race had done it a couple of years ago and I always looked at them as like lunatics, right? I'm like, there's no reason, I've got no reason, no desire to paddle that far on a board or, or to suffer like that. But for me, it was it was just a bit of a, just about a different challenge. And the more I thought about it, the more I kind of grew on me and I said, you know what? Like it's, I've got that paddling background. I've got the, the, the kind of, physical background that I know I could probably do it but it's just another challenge to see if I can kind of apply myself to and it, it, it kind of made me and my like reinvigorate I guess my sport and really enjoy what I was doing again just just throwing myself so far out of that comfort zone I, I guess just um, the next question how do you go about preparing for something that extreme and, and, and that far outside of your experience and that 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 was the toughest question, right? Like I really found there was so many layers involved, and I probably drew on skills I, I took for granted from sailing a lot to kind of start preparing for for being outdoors and being kind of being preparing for a multi-day event. But yeah, there was so many levels to preparing for an event like that that I had kind of hadn't really overlooked until until a few months before when we started really knuckling down and into it and there was yeah there was a two sides it was one it was there was a lot and it was quite confronting but at the same time I guess when you break it down and you process through an event like that it was a remarkably achievable and something we actually spoke about a lot was that there was a bit of a saying Peter Peter Allen my support guy that had done it a couple of times kept saying is if you can paddle for three hours you can paddle for 60 hours it's not not so much a physical thing and it wasn't so much like a you have to do crazy amounts of training and and do all this kind of super hero levels of preparation it's just about doing all little things right and and making sure all the all your t's are crossed and your i's are dotted and you've got your prepar- you've got your gear right and all those little things it wasn't the physical side is 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 kind of irrelevant once once you get to a certain level right and it's it's fully unsupported, is that correct? No, not fully unsupported. So there's two support stops. So basically, 
once you start, it's about 24 hours to the first stop and you're allowed to support cry at that stop. And then it's about, we took about five hours. It's typically about six or seven hours between the two stops. And the second stop, you get the same support guy. And then it's unsupported to the finish. So you have two, so there's two stops and you've got to take a mandatory of 10 hours at the stops. Um, doesn't matter how you split that up. Um, but you've got to take the two 10 hour stops and then the rest of it's kind of unsupported. So it, it was, it was good and bad in a way, I think like, because it's so supported, you can push yourself to a level that, like, you don't need to worry about anything. You know, you just get there and you fall in your bag and you'll have food prepared for you and it's okay. But at the same time, it's like it's like an open invitation to just hammer yourself to the ground because, you know, once you get there, you'll be fine. Um, yeah. But, yeah, a lot of the other stuff and a lot of the kind of, like, the first day and the last day, both 24-hour legs, effectively, kind of unsupported. And there's a lot of navigation and a lot of, interesting unique things about that river and the fact that like it's because it's a glacial runoff the river changes every year and the maps are the maps are the hand drawer maps from like 100 years ago so it's <laughs> it there's a lot to it i think mentally more than i guess physically we found or i found especially i wanted to ask lincoln there's so many factors going on and, and you talk about you know the river and it's up in the yukon were there any challenges you weren't expecting that you ran into that that kind of set you back or surprised you yeah completely i think for me like i like at the end of the day it's also a race and that that was kind of the big thing leading into it is like as well as it's just big challenge to paddle for that long and stuff like it is a race and there was three or four really really good guys that were very well prepared to to race and and to really kind of hurt the distance and preparing for that was probably my biggest challenge um and then being in that that situation right where you're you're 20 24 hours into the race and there's a minute between you or you can you can see each other and you like you can't physically break away but you want to but it going through that that side of it for me was was probably the biggest challenge so we did the first the first leg to the first stop was about 24 hours and it involves everything from paddling across a, a lake that's about 60 kilometres long and there's no tidal assist and we, we copped a few big storms, come like quite a quick and intense storms, but we copped some storms coming across to to all, like to everything from uh, 10 hours later, you're paddling through islands down the river and it's quite navigational and quite challenging and, and just that kind of level of intensity I think I'd never experienced before consistently for for that kind of distance and that in itself was was probably the biggest hurdle um so coming into the first stop we were probably about I think we're about a a minute apart and that was only because I kind of got a little bit lucky at the end and kind of put the hammer down but it was like a minute after 24 hours is is not much especially when you're not kind of traveling it's like paddling you don't travel like quick right you kind of it's it's um it's a bit of a grind. So do you choose to stay together? I mean, do you do you draft? Are there any other tactics, or is that just um, you can get away from each other? It, it's an interesting one. So I kind of wanted to break away. Um, I was I'm quite confident in my own paddling, and I wanted to break away the first day in the fact that like I know how I feel in the first day. Like I know I can physically from my background, I, I could probably be a bit of a stronger paddler that I could break away, but 
I didn't know how I'd feel after 60 hours. I didn't know at the end of the, at the end of the race I might have like could be completely screwed, and so I was hopeful I'd have a little bit of a buffer. But I set myself pretty hard in the first day. About I think I've tried to break. I broke away three times and was pulled back in three times. And from the last one, it was like all right, like like I was hanging on for dear life on the draft, and and it was it's a tricky one. Like you, the other guys were quite happy to to draft each other and and pace for the rest of the race, and it. <laughs> It's it's a tough one, right? Like you want it's I guess it's like a lot of those kind of drafting adventure sports where you you draft when you can, and if you see an opportunity, you'll go and you'll notice the other guy goes. And and I think the biggest thing with us is that when you stop to have a rest break, you kind of can't like a bike or anything. You can kind of still roll. Where we have to kind of sit down and stop to kind of get our food and, and rehydrate and fill our water packs up. So it was always a game of like. Do you, do you take the extra couple of seconds and let them and lose the draft and then be hydrated for the next two hours or do you sprint and and maybe risk falling down the track by not taking the proper time to kind of hydrate and, and fuel up so it was it was an interesting one um, and that I think mentally stressed me more than more than I kind of took into account so you talk a bit about how you um, choose to eat and, and hydrate, and that's all happening on the board, obviously, with, with this 24-hour shift. So can you explain for our listeners a little bit more about your, your fueling strategy? Because obviously it's not as, as straightforward as it normally might be in an uh, adventure race or an outdoor setting because you're, you're out on the water, right, and it's all on your board with you. So can you explain a, a little bit more about that? Yeah, my my feeling strategy was um was to kind of keep it simple and notoriously like I'm not probably the best person when it comes to nutrition and, and being prepared for for these and having a plan in place for these kind of races um and also to have paddled up fast so I was I was quite unsure how I was going to go on on day two so general rule of thumb with the stops is you try to limit your stops to having a minute every hour on the hour so we were kind of like you'd be down you'd, you'd watch your watch you'd limit yourself to 60 seconds um, up and go. I had the idea to maybe have some longer stops like as the race progressed, but it, you just couldn't with, with the kind of the intensity of always having somebody just behind you or just in front of you, you really kind of couldn't take more than a minute. Um, Water-wise, water's quite tricky. So we carry, we carry about up to about five litres of water on the board. Um, when we when we want to change that over, whether it's got electrolytes in it or pure water, it's it's kind of up to us as we uh, as we go. We'll we'll swap each pack out, but to fill it up, you've got to use river water. And there's certain spots because of the floods this year, you kind of couldn't fill it up. So you're filling it up, you're putting your purification tablets in it. You got to wait your half an hour. So planning the water, I guess, down the track was quite important. But food-wise, I kind of ran, I guess, two different setting setups. I when I wasn't pushing super hard, when I was kind of in my mode, in, con- in control, I can I can actually digest kind of real food. So I was relying on my veggies, fruits, um, lots of nuts, some avocados, kind of anything that's kind of a little bit high in fats and sugars and just to kind of get that real food in when I could. Um, Challenge is standing up, use in the way well, for me especially, I really struggle to kind of digest if I'm working hard at all. So it's kind of this fine line between when I can go from that or when do I go to the gels and the kind of the glucose and the, the little 
the lollies and, and just try and rewire that kind of stuff. And for me, the first night, I probably relied on that too much and it was I missed a few, potentially missed a few food stops. And then come 24 hours in, I was laying flat on my board, wishing it was, wishing it was anywhere but there. So um, the biggest challenge too, I guess, for me was that the, you had these two rest stops where you were based roughly five hours at each and you wanted to... You wanted to get in, fuel up, and get as much sleep as you could. So that's very much when, like, kind of having the kind of the recovery smoothie shakes that you guys make, and then the the high calorie, um, the highly eight hundred calorie meals the ultra came into play. The ultra range, yeah. that's it. So they came into play like quite quickly, and the fact that like I really, really struggled to kind of digest something, and I just needed to get as much food, as much fuel in as I could get a small meal, get it in and then get to bed as quickly as I could. So relied on those a lot kind of coming into the stops. Um, and actually on the last day we used a, I had a, one of the ultra meals on the board. So we filled it up at the stop, sealed it up. And then for the first four or five hours into our last kind of leg, 24 hour leg, every minute I'd stop down and have two mouthfuls of that. And it was just nice to have something that was warm. It was it was one p.m. one a.m. Sorry, and it was nice to have something that was warm and just kind of taste a little bit different. Taste like food, right? It wasn't just having cold nuts in the morning, and it was nice to kind of keep me going. But yeah, it was it was a bit of a mixture, and for me, it was very much of a learning kind of a learning thing because I've done the sailing stuff. You're not as stressed physically. You kind of you can kind of eat when you want or eat as you go, and then doing like two hour races you just kind of want the gels and stuff like that so it was kind of a, a middle ground for me trying to learn and figure out as i went yeah we think it's um we think it's a really cool sort of aspect of these ultra endurance events as in nutrition and as you sort of at the start of the podcast said it's something that is very much addressed in the in the high performance setting that being your traditional sports, right, where it's a very controlled environment and trainings and competing is all very controlled. And then you take it into the outdoors and you have these massive ultra-endurance events and people often forget that nutrition's just as important, right? And and if not, it's, it potentially is more important. So that's something that we absolutely love and, and hearing about your strategy is really cool because there's all these other factors that start to come into play. It's not just what you can eat that's best for you, but... For you, you know, it's it's have you got water to hydrate? Is it hot water? Um, digesting while you're going, there's all these different factors. So it's it's a really interesting thing to, to hear about. I I got a question. Um, what what would you do differently if you did it again? That's a really cool one, and and quite honestly, like a lot, like I'm such I feel so foreign to a lot of this stuff, and like it's interesting talking to. Even like a lot of the backcountry skiers and stuff, for example, that like you go like there's so much for me to learn and how to how to kind of be fueled up for for multiple days at a time. And I think from I ran the mistake of kind of being and it comes back to when the race intensity, right? Like I was kind of too intense early on, and I relied a lot heavy, like pretty heavily on some gels and lollies and things like that early on that I would in like a two three hour race because it. I just couldn't digest anything else. I felt like I just couldn't get anything down. I felt like crap. As soon as I'd go into my stomach, I really struggled. And about maybe 20, 20 hours into the first leg, it was about, I would have been like 1 a.m., right? And 
that's what I'd made a breakaway and then I just faded. And I remember just sitting on the board and just feeling like, not just flat, but like sick. Like I was, I was throwing up a little bit and really couldn't stand up and just felt like, like my guts were, were cooked and everything like acid reflux and everything. I just felt like shocking. And I think that kind of came down to just, yeah, just not feeling up, just kind of being a little bit intense and a little bit heavy headed early on in the piece. And it was amazing, like how much that hurt. And that came back to me like 20 hours later, right? As, as opposed to even our, my last leg where I went into it a lot more relaxed and I kind of fueled up in the right way for the first six hours really, really well. And then by the end of that, like I felt amazing. Like it just, just the, I guess the learning and the preparation. And it's one of those things as well as I'm quite a, I've always been somebody who doesn't prepare as well in the fact that I don't test a lot of things. Okay, that'll work or I'll take for granted that that process makes sense. I'll continue to do that. Whereas then I actually got on the board and it was like little things like taking my jacket on and off was was a process because I had to put my feet over in the freezing water and it was like, shit, like I probably should have thought about that one before I came over. But it's, I guess it's one of those things, right? You don't realize until you're there and you go, oh God, should have tested that. Uh so on the pacing, I mean, you've gone from a, a background in, um, I'm not sure if they'd be a sprint sport, but my background's in road racing where um, yeah. it's, they're unpleasantly long, typically, um, <laughs> yeah. an, an hour's a sprint. But um, there's a huge difference in pacing, right? You've been in events that sort of one to three hours and you're going up to something that's multi-day. Um, do, you, do you race off just perceived effort and, and perception or do you use heart rate do you use uh, speed over ground I mean how do you do that for that event so it paddling is quite an interesting one right like we we would use perceived effort and heart rate primarily um the reason being yeah. is that the I guess it's the same as roadway like road riding in a way that like it the because of the conditions change so much it's very speed over ground it is so volatile and it's it, yeah. especially like you could have five knots of, of headwind and or a bit of a sea state or whatever the waves are doing like changes it so much and we like even like we do a lot of training in the flat water and kind of controlled environments to try and replicate sessions and stuff and even that like it's even on a rowing course it's quite hard for us to replicate sessions consistently um just because of the conditions and the wind right so that it's, it's a lot to do with perceived effort and heart rate, but even with, with something like this, I really struggled coming into it, knowing and understanding that. Um, yeah. it's, it's hugely different. It, I mean, again, 20 times longer than what you normally do. Yeah, and the biggest thing too for me was that um, suddenly you're carrying all this weight, weight on the board, right? And that completely changed my rhythm and threw up my rhythm um, even training and preparing for that, like I would, we were trying to replicate that as best as I could, but like a lot of us aren't, a lot of the paddling athletes aren't that big. Like we don't need to be, have, we just need to have high turnover, right? And, and be quite aerobically fit. It's not so much of a strength sport. And as soon as you put a huge pack on the board and then you're just slowing down your rhythm and your rating, it's, it changes the game completely. And I really struggled with that. Um, leading into it and even in the race I didn't really know how I'd go pace-wise because it's yeah it's just such a different kind of world 
That leads me into another question. When I um, was road racing, you'd have you have good days and bad days. You have days where everything you know flows really nicely, and other days where every every pedal stroke just sucks. Nothing, no rhythm. It's all hard work. How do you um, you know o- over multi days? You must have gone through some some stretches of time there where just everything was difficult. How do you deal yeah. with that? I, I'm not well. <laughs> well <laughs> complaining to myself, but um, that is, I guess it's the same as a lot of those kind of events, right? It's like it'd be the same as road racing. It's like you get to a point where, where it sucks and you feel like crap, but you can almost pedal yourself. You can almost work yourself back into feeling good, and that's yeah. something I know. Like I learned a lot with swimming. Like swimming is quite a, a sport where it's very feel orientated, and for whatever reason, some days you just have no feel, and it for me being able to take that kind of multi that that's like a probably a skill I've developed from swimming and, and that kind of high performance sport is going okay I suck I feel like shit this morning but I've got to yeah. force myself to like almost work myself to feeling good and it was it was a challenge like it was by myself out there it was quite a challenge and I think the biggest the biggest part of it is because the water um, is so different as well like we do a lot of paddling on salt water where you go into a river like that where it's freshwater first, so you're a little bit stickier, the board's heavier, and then because it's running water, it's like down, it's like because it's running down the river, it's so different, it's boily, it, it it almost requires a different kind of stroke as well. Like we're very, and I was learning as we're going, and it was quite interesting actually, a, a good friend of mine, Travis Grant, paddled the canoe, or paddled the canoe in the race, and he... In a four-person canoe, but he's one of probably one of the best ocean paddlers on the stand-up and out. A lot of other paddling craft, and we both commented that it's very, very different kind of paddling in the river. And we just didn't take it for granted. Just little, like fine, like just very small changes in your stroke, but all these little things add up, right? Like little things in your stroke that have to be different. The board being heavier, rating being different. Suddenly, there was lots of moments where I felt like I was just paddling like crap, or I was working hard and and going nowhere so to speak so it was it was a it was a kind of a learn on on the fly moment i think for a lot of it it's interesting you mentioned swimming so before cycling i was a a swimmer and i was uh very focused on you know hand feel water feel just all feel and a pool's obviously a highly controlled environment then you start sea swimming and everything sucks you're catching in the wrong areas there's a wave you go to breathe you're drowning it's <laughs> just a mouthful yeah. of water and um i i went through into cycling uh with a pool swimmer's mindset where a highly controlled environment you, you're just expecting a good day everything dialed in with how you feel and then you just have to learn still to perform when everything goes wrong everything feels bad you have equipment breakages and um just that ability to learn to just acknowledge that something's gone wrong and and let it go and move on you still got to perform right and and you're saying on the river you can go through a difficult period it can last for hours but no matter how bad it is you got to get through it and there's only one way you're going to get through it so you got to carry on is um probably pretty difficult when you're out there by yourself or with a teammate but fairly alone yeah, and, and that's it, I guess. It's, I'm sure it's the same as cycling, right? Like you, 
and and cycling's it'll be the same like when you when it's going wrong you know it's going wrong you can't hide like it, it's quite obvious right like everyone else knows knows it's not going right and you're, you're struggling and i think a lot of these sports are like that and we were saying in in sailing a lot it's like knocking off the highs and filling in the lows and just trying to be keep that level head and just be completely emotionless almost um and that's something i struggle i've always struggled with a lot is i very much an emotional athlete I'll, I'll ride my highs and then ride them into the ground when they fall off the cliff but just trying to be a little bit less like that and go okay well that sucks or this has happened this is the fact that's happened how do I improve how do I get out of that and I I mean you see it with so many athletes right like tennis players and even kind of mountaineers and stuff is like they have shit days and you see them go yeah it's a shit day and I move on and, and just I guess it's, it's just trying to get into that mindset isn't it it's just trying to just keep pushing and just keep doing what you know and, and you know it will get better at some stage I think the more we deal with ultra endurance athletes it's just that mental resiliency is always just such a fascinating um, subject and I think in an event like you've been through it's where the, the great are separated from everyone else right you can't really get ahead when everyone's going through a good patch and um, yeah no fascinating but would you would you do it again Lincoln would I do it again? I don't know. I I would like to do it again, and this is going to sound crazy, but I'd like to do it again because I know there was moments out there I probably, like, like I learned so much, for example. Like, like step it back. Like, I learned so much, and, and this has really kind of been a, a step in that kind of ultra-adventure endurance racing where mentally I learned so much, physically I learned so much, and I'd like to do it. Maybe not this race again. I'd, I'd like to do other similar projects probably in the fact that like I'd like to perfect I think what I did like there's lots of mistakes I made out there that even now going okay I would do that different or I'd change that or I I would probably my first 24 hours was pretty average and I guess that uh, maybe that's just the the performance side of me going okay like it'd be nice to step away and do it prop do it the best I could do it um but yeah like it's just so you know I just feel like especially the mental side, right? Like all the, I feel like I'm learning so much from like all those ultra, ultra athletes, sorry. And it's just a lot to learn and yeah, maybe one day. <laughs> I, another way of wording that, your result in this race, you were third, is that right? Yeah, so I ended up first on the, in the stand-up paddleboard division. Um, yeah. But we ended up third, which was actually really good in the, against in the overall solo division with the kayaks and the canoes and stuff. And that's kind of, I think the best of stand-up place is about fit. So it, it, it's not too bad. Like I had a really, like I pushed pretty hard and, and it, I guess it paid off. But yeah, it was. So put, was, I guess put, put another way, um, what's the best result you think you could get? Could a, See, could a stand-up paddleboard win if you went back and you had a perfect race? No, no, I don't think so. I probably not. Result-wise, probably not. I think result-wise, I probably did the best I could. It was yeah. more so kind of like, I guess, the time. It'd be nice to go back and do a quicker time maybe. But like, it, it, once again, it's a learning thing. And if I knew what I did the last day or the first day, even, like, it would have been a, probably would have been a lot more enjoyable and pleasant experience. But then you kind of have to go through that, right, to 
to figure it all out, I guess, in these okay. kind of events. Although you do, you say all that after breaking the course record, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was it was one of those uh, tricky ones again, right? Is that the it's so river dependent, and they had so much snow this year, so the river was quite was was running quite quickly, and it it's one of those things. It's like we had we knew we were going to be very close to breaking the record, and then the last day, like it was. I was got to a point where I was quite comfortably in front and I was actually starting to enjoy my paddling and, and going, okay, like I haven't got far to go. And I say that I looked at the map straight after and it was like eight hours to go. And I'm like, oh, shit. Mm. But it was um, one of those things is, like, all right, like you don't often get an opportunity to break a course record, especially on a race that's quite, I guess, it's a bit of a landmark in the, in, in the paddling world. And it's like, okay, so I may as well just leave everything out here and try and, break it by as much as I can and leave a good kind of mark on the on the race um but yeah it, it's just I guess it's one of those things too right is like coming from a world that's so controlled and and race controlled and and training is, is quite controlled it's like when you're out there and you're relying on your navigation and things like that is lots of times where you you'll go around a couple of islands in the river and you go oh did I go the fastest way I'm not sure and you can't tell maybe you did maybe you didn't but like with a bit of sleep deprivation and all those other things it's like you go around the island you're like, oh god I went the wrong way or oh, no I've, I've I've screwed this up or I've lost now and things like that um that I probably think I probably could have done a lot better but it's just yeah it's learning and it's it's preparing for these things a little bit better and being a little bit smarter second time through awesome can you talk us through what you've got coming up next yeah so i've got a couple of things coming up next and it's probably more so into this adventure world which is i'm pretty excited about um first up we've got so i'm doing the sydney hobart yacht race again this year so we're back in the two-handed division and i'm pretty fortunate to be working with uh sunfast racing so it's the know yachts uh boat program so we've got yeah so it's a two-handed race so there's going to be only two of us on board the boat again this year and we've got a really good boat kind of lined up and and we've just started sailing it this week so that should be a kind of a fun project for myself and then um next year i'm going to be rowing the indian ocean row with a couple of other aussie blokes so that's i'm i have no idea what i'm in for with that and i feel like so far out of my depth other than it's going to be miserable and, and I'll suffer for a few, a few days, but <laughs> excited for that again, I guess, in that same sort of unknown, unknown capacity. Awesome. Well, I think um, unless you have any, any questions for us, Lincoln, I think we've pretty much covered everything we want to ask you about. It's been great having you on. Yeah, easy, fellas. Thanks for, and thanks for having me on and thanks for your time. And Yeah.